the finance function is like tugboats. And so there's this big ship that's coming into port and that's the company, right? And it has an idea of, of the direction it's going in. But every once in a while it needs to be nudged and moved in a certain direction so it has a safe docking so there's no crashes at the end of the day. And finance actually works a lot as that kind of tugboat that nudges and influences and makes sure that the ship comes into port just right and there are no accidents. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Blaine Fitzgerald, Executive Vice President of Finance at Canaxis, a company that revolutionizes planning by delivering the agility you need to make fast, confident decisions in an unpredictable world. Blaine oversees the finance and corporate IT teams, and will be moving into the CFO role on August 1st, 2021. Prior to Canaxis, he served as a CFO of Spartan Bioscience and was a VP of finance at e-commerce giant Shopify. During his time at Shopify, Blaine helped the company scale to more than $1 billion in revenue and over 4,000 employees, and was instrumental in Shopify's 2015 IPO. As a chartered professional accountant, Blaine started his career with stints at Deloitte and Ernst & Young, while working in Vancouver, Bermuda, Luxembourg, and Ottawa. He holds a Bachelor of Economics from Simon Fraser University. And so without further ado, here's Blaine Fitzgerald, incoming CFO at Canaxis. Hey, Blaine, thanks for joining me on The Backbone. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, we've got lots to get through today, so why don't we dive right in? First of all, starting with your career journey. Prior to joining Canaxis, you started your career in accounting with stints at Collins Barrow, EY, and Deloitte. From there, you held roles at CMHC before making the plunge into tech with Curtis Wright Controls Defense Solutions. And then in 2013, you joined the small company called Shopify, where you spent five and a half years and played a key role in taking the company public as their VP of finance. From there, you spent some time at Spartan Bioscience as their CFO, who I believe was the first to come out with the COVID-19 test. So we can get into that. And then most recently, you joined Canaxis as the Executive Vice President of Finance. So talk to me about your career journey and how it all started for you, Blaine. Sure. Yeah. You know, my career, is, that's a good recap of what I've, I guess, done as far as what I put on a resume. But I almost say my career started uh, a lot before that. My dad was a, uh, a professional track and field coach, and I grew up, all I wanted to be was a track and field athlete going to the Olympics one day. And at some point, you realize that's not going to be your career aspiration or what you're going to do in the, in the future. And you're right, I, I joined public practice. I started out in Vancouver with Collins Barrow and got a great journey on all things accounting and auditing and as well as tax. From there, I actually started traveling the globe. So I went to Bermuda, worked on some hedge funds, worked on some crazy hedge funds, including Edward S. Lampert, who would play a pivotal role on like the transformation of 
commerce to e-commerce later on. But I, I was in Bermuda for like three years. Uh, then we went to Luxembourg and I worked on investment funds in Luxembourg with Deloitte. Eventually I had to come back to Canada. I didn't have to, but I wanted to uh, raise our daughter in Canada. And so we decided to come back to Deloitte and I worked in the complex accounting transactional expertise group in Deloitte, basically helping crown corporations transition from the old Canadian gap over to I4S. And at some point I realized I didn't want to be a partner talking about technical I4S or gap. And so I made a transition. I went to one of two areas that you would usually go to in, in Ottawa, Canada which is either government or tech. And I decided to go to government. I spent some time at CMHC and quickly realized that the pace of government was not for me. And so I, uh, I jumped from government to tech, and that was Curtis Wright, and spent probably like three years. And a lot of people don't know too much about Curtis Wright, but Wright comes from like the Wright brothers. So they built airplanes. And oh, wow. was also famous. He, he built some engines for airplanes as well. And so they're one of the longest consecutively serving public companies in the world. And I, when I was there, someone reached out and said, hey, there's this small little company based in the market in Ottawa looking for someone to help them out. They're making some waves. I think you should, you should check them out. And of course, I was like, okay, I know where my career is going with Curtis Wright. This is a good thing. I'm not going to check out this little rinky-dinky company. And they, they said, well, no, you should really go check them out because I think they could be something. And that ended up being Shopify. And I went into their offices and was blown away, blown away by the, the talent, the vision of, you know, the Tobys, Harleys, Russ Jones, who was the CFO there at the time, and loved every minute of it. So I spent five and a half years there, helped them go public, helped them run as a public company. I think I, I left when there were somewhere around 2,000 people working there. And it was incredible to see that growth over time. It was just amazing. But I also had aspirations for myself and I wanted to be a CFO one day. So I jumped over to, as you said, Spartan Bioscience and a crazy startup doing some crazy things in this environment. And they were the first PCR test to get approved in Canada. They, they eventually had to resubmit because of a one of their testing devices wasn't working appropriately. But I, I'm expecting, and, and perhaps once this podcast airs, they will be back out there and a, a certified testing device from Health Canada. So a lot of cool things happening there. But while I was at, at Spartan and before this whole COVID thing hit, Canaxis had reached out. And the funny thing in Ottawa is I, I've always seen like there's really two players. There's the fast growing Shopify, which was a ton of fun. And then there's like a the little bit more mature, but profitable Canaxis. And so when I got the chance to to join Canaxis and, and help them out in their journey, I saw a really good opportunity for me and my, my future as well as the direction they were going. And so I joined up and here I am. And it's it's been a great ride so far. That's awesome. And I know um, we're going to dive a bit more into each of those aspects because there's so much to unpack there. But before we do, why don't uh, you tell us a little bit about Canaxis? What does the company do and what is it all about? Yeah, so... What they really do is they, they provide cloud-based supply chain software. Essentially, we help ensure that larger enterprises get the right product on the right shelf at the right time. And we have this unique capability that we call concurrent planning, in which what that does is it bounces all the supply chain data from the order desk all the way down to the shop floor, and they provide that information in, in real time. And so if you think about 
we'll call it the toilet paper crisis that we just went through in March and April. Demand like changed very quickly. And so if you look at your spreadsheets, you're thinking about the demand, what you expect for people to get for toilet paper. That was out the door within seconds. And so you needed this real-time information to be able to change and make sure that you got the supply where it needed to be as fast as possible. And that's really what, what Canaxis does. I, I think we've been positioned in a great space as a result of COVID-19. You know, there's not a lot of good things that have come out of it, but what we have seen is this paradigm shift and acceleration of certain technologies. E-commerce has definitely seen an uptick, but supply chain planning is, is also a significant shift in demand that Canaxis has been able to be prefer- perfectly positioned to benefit from this. So it's, uh, it's interesting going through this because there's technologies that are accelerating way beyond what we would have expected without this pandemic. Yeah, totally. Before we dive into some of your other career stops along the way, you touched on this a little bit, thinking about government and that wasn't the right pace. And then a fast growing company like Shopify, you've done that. And then now a mature, profitable company like Canaxis. And in between that, you you also joined a a very early stage uh, startup as well in Spartan Bioscience. What was the the thought process for you when joining Canaxis and has that come true so far to date? So, you know, one of the things I was thinking of when I went through that thought process of potentially leaving Spartan and, and jumping onto what Canaxis was doing was I didn't want to jump into a company that was like ready to be at status quo. I didn't want a company that was just going to be like, we're going to $250 million of revenue per year. And that's what it's going to be like for the next 10 years. And so um, talking to John Sicard, who's a great CEO, actually won the CEO of the year in Ottawa this year. One of the things we talked about was like, let's get some big ass, hairy, audacious goals out there. Right. And let's figure out what this company can really do. And he was very open. He's like, I want this company to be a billion dollar company. There's no questions about it. That's the kind of thing that drove me. I, I mean, as hard as scaling company is, it's great when you reach those those peaks. And I see no reason why Canaxis can't reach a billion dollars in revenue in the future. And I think that's something that's not as audacious as it might sound like. Obviously, Shopify is a it, it's a crazy jump that they had when I when I came on board. I think they were at fifty million dollars in revenue, and obviously when I left, they're around one point six billion. And so I've seen it happen. It's not impossible. Yeah. And I, I think with the right people and the right opportunity, and again, this paradigm shift that we're going through, I think that is something that we could see in the future for Canaxis as well. Yeah, no doubt. And it's it's a good segue into what was going to be my next question, switching gears now back to your time at Shopify. Uh, I wanted to chat about the, the IPO process. And, and you said when you joined them, they were 50 million. And obviously taking that company public. What was that like for you as a finance leader in the company? How do you know a company is ready to take the plunge into the public markets? Yeah, you know, it's every company is different. And Shopify was in a great position. They had a great story. And that helps. I think you have to have a great story. You have to understand like the next steps going forward. They had a team that was starting to mature. You know, they had a very young team. And but they were led by uh, a visionary being Toby Lukey, as well as having Russ Jones, who is he would hate me for saying this, but like he was like the grizzly man who like 
kind of <laughs> directed them in the right direction when, when things needed to be said. And that really helped ensure that they were prepared for, for this journey of going public. And I, I, there's like a little bit of a difference, I'd say, between a dual listed company or a U.S. listed company and a TSX company. Obviously, you, you need to be able well on your way to being SOX compliant. I think to be a dual listed company that's successful, I think that $100 million of revenue threshold is important. You know, there's the basics of do you have U.S. GAAP or do you have IFRS? You need to have a strong accounting legal team to support that administrative burden. All those are things that you would also need on the TSX, but maybe not to the same degree. And so it's just surrounding yourself with a strong team, a mature story that, that can really grow as as you become that trusted company going forward. I think it's yeah. doing the basics, but doing the basics to a precision level that you have never seen before. Yeah, for sure. And then what are some of the learnings maybe that you would share for finance leaders preparing to go through that process now? I mean, the public markets are what they are right now, but we've seen a flurry of of IPOs as well, especially in tech. And so what are some of the learnings that you would share that, that you picked up while taking Shopify public that you think could be useful for folks going through it today? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's crazy this year, the amount of IPOs that we've seen. And I think it's such a good thing. Like I, when we went through it, there was they were talking about three or four other companies in Canada that were potentially going to uh, go public. And Canaxis had done it the year before, and then there was us, Halogen. I think had just done it or was about to do it. And so, but there wasn't anyone else that that went public for a while. I think Real Matters went a couple of years after us, and and then it was kind of like a blank space for a while. And now this year, you just see so many nice and good names doing it and not only doing the TSX, but also some of them uh, moving over to the, the dual listed company status as well, which is, which is great to see. But I mean, you know, when you go public, it's more than just raising capital. It's so much more than raising capital. You can get money a lot of different ways. And it's a liquidity event for your early investors. It's great for recruiting. People forget that. Like there's a lot of um, people out there that, that come on for options and, and stock-based comp. And when they see a company that's public, they, they can automatically see that they're getting the reward based on uh, a company that's about to hopefully grow in the future. And I think that one of the most important things that people often forget, and, and it was a huge, huge thing for, for Shopify was it's a marketing event. It is such a huge marketing event. When we went public, I think the month after we went public was the biggest amount of merchants we had up until that point. And, and that stayed the, the highest we'd ever seen for about three months, which Shopify, although it was growing all the time, it had never hit like a, a peak like that so fast. And so just getting the brand beyond the Canadian borders was important. The other thing I would say is that leverage off your peers as much as possible. I was able to meet with the CFOs of Zendesk and Yelp and Marketo, who all went through the IPO process the year before Shopify. And then I also met with the CFO of Twilio. And Twilio went a year after us, but they were kind of like in the same thought process. They were going through that process just the same time as us. So it was nice to kind of bounce ideas off them and and see what see what they had to had to say. And then I think the only other thing is like just make sure you have a strong team in advance. It's so important to make sure that you hire in advance and that you're not playing catch up. We were very, very fortunate. I think even my own role, I remember Russ telling me what he wanted to do and, and why. And I was like, I think he's hired me way too early. And it turned out to be like, I think, fairly perfect, uh, perfect timing. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And and a lot of those learnings that you, that you shared, I, I, I can definitely resonate with. And I think those are great things to keep in mind. What what would you say were things that, that surprised you going through this process, like taking a company public and, and going through the, the motions of, of that? Yeah. Okay. Now I'll throw one out that no one would think of is printer fees. Holy crap. Printer fees are super expensive and they gouge you up everything. <laughs> You go into this, so for anyone who's who's gone through the process, or who hasn't gone through the process, it's spoken like a true a true finance leader, printing oh. fees and costs. <laughs> I love it. It's incredible. Like you, so, you go into this boardroom and they give you all these like free treats. You're like, oh wow, I get free, you know, Mars bars or chips or whatever. While you're you're spending like next to twenty hours per day writing this prospectus in their office, and every page, so every page. If you have a, a comma that you change on a page, they're going to charge you for that. If they if you have to reprint something on a weekend, they're going to charge you double for that. If they're going to print something and it, you say this is a rush, they're going to charge you double for that. So it's the the printer fees surprised the crap out of me. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, that's it, it's kind of a joke, but not. I was like astonished. I was surprised by how smooth it went for us. Like it, it was, you know, every time we thought there would be a hurdle, it just never, never appeared. And it went so smoothly that we ended up moving the dates up a week, which it was unheard of. And the demand for us was, it was like off the chart. We were oversubscribed by a huge amount. And I think if I remember correctly, we we're the, the si- second highest hit rate on our roadshow of any tech company. That meant like of all the investors that we met with, almost all of them signed up for an amount uh, of shares that they wanted. I think uh, FireEye, who's obviously in the media quite a bit now. FireEye was the only one that ended up with a higher hit rate with us than Morgan Stanley had ever seen in their in their lifetimes. That's wild. That's crazy. And so now, you know, y- you were obviously part of a Shopify many quarters after being a public company as well. And even now at Canaxis, what does it mean to be a finance exec for a publicly traded company? So I think... As you can imagine, the month following a quarter end are not is not the time to book a vacation. My wife and kids can say that every month end or every quarter end, there's a month where they don't see me. That's uh, their vacation for myself. But I think the other thing is to keep in mind, like you need to create an effective, efficient uh, financial statement close process. You really don't have that much time to dilly dally and, and to have issues. You need to get it closed as soon as possible to give you enough time to get ready to craft that story for the investors and, and the analyst. And I think that's the second part of it. Like crafting the story that has evolved over the quarter becomes much more important as you're meeting and chatting with analysts and investors. It's not all about the numbers anymore. It's about the product development, the go-to-market strategy and the ecosystem reach. That's something as a private company you just rarely have to deal with, but you need to be ready for that as soon as you get to the, that, that earnings call and all the investor meetings you have after that. Mm-hmm. And and so then a couple of follow-ups. One, how does the finance function need to evolve once you're a public company? We talked about, you know, going through the IPO process itself and then, you know, you ring the bell and now you're public and then you, you have to start reporting earnings on a quarterly basis and there's uh, likely a rhythm and, and rituals that, that need to follow. So one, how does the finance function have to evolve? And then two, as you said, like in, in regards to the month end close processes or, or that month right after quarter end, what systems and processes do you rely upon 
that you need to ensure you put in place before you take the company public so that none of these things fall through the cracks? Yeah, sure. I guess with your first question, like finance really owns the financial integrity of any company, but especially when, when they're public. You, one, of the, one of the things that I think people fail to realize is that the most important thing about being a public company is being a trusted public company. And so you need to ensure you don't break that trust later on. And, and whether or not you have, you're worrying about the trust with your customers, with your partners, your investors, your analysts, it's, it's a little bit full kimono. Everyone's seeing what's happening out there. And so you need to make sure you don't break that trust going forward. The other thing is that you, time becomes quite tight. So understanding what to focus on is imperative. There's less time that needs to be spent on immaterial things. But if an issue is considered material, there's very little room for making mistakes. And so you need to really understand what is considered to be significant or material versus immaterial. As far as systems, and this is actually one of the things that worked really well with Shopify and we wanted to make sure was in place before going public, was that we didn't want to create manual tasks. We wanted to automate as much as possible and it made things so much easier later on. And so a lot of time was uh, spent on making sure we had the the systems that were robust, but also scalable. Like your finance function obviously needs to be as efficient as possible. And so investing in financial systems to make everyone's life as efficient and, and effective as possible was important. And our go-to systems, as with most companies, would be like ERP. We use NetSuite and Canaxis uses NetSuite. Financial planning, Shopify uses Adaptive, which is now I think owned by Workday. And uh, Canaxis uses Planful. And then uh, stock administration, Solium is uh, the go-to. And, and stock admin is actually a often o- overlooked system that I think it makes life a lot easier because keeping track of your cap table and, and your options is is super hard. And without that that robust system, you're going to be lost once you once you go public. And then just I mean for the IPO process, I use this thing called Smartsheet. And the funny thing about Smartsheet is. It is what it says. It's basically a smart Excel software. Yeah. I've used it a couple of times. It's it's pretty smart. <laughs> it is. And the, the crazy part was, I'm like, wow, this is like, it, it's exactly what it says it is. And I used it. And probably a year or two after I used it, I saw that it went public as well. And, and it was, I'm like blown away that a company that had that type of software was going public. But again, it was it was a lifesaver during the IPO process. Yeah, for sure. And and last question here before we jump into our quick fire round, and that is, what is the biggest misconception in your mind about the finance function within software companies? Sure. Yeah. Well, number one, like, we're not the police. There's, I have a analogy I always like to use. I, I say like, the finance function is like tugboats, and so there's this big ship that's coming into port, and that's the company, right? And it has an idea of. of the directions going in, but every once in a while it needs to be nudged and moved in a certain directions so it has a safe docking, so there's no crashes at the end of the day. And finance actually works a lot as that kind of tugboat that nudges and influences, and makes sure that the ship comes into port just right, 
and there are no accidents. Wow, that's a really uh, nice way to put it. And I'm just envisioning a, <laughs> in my mind as you say that, you know, a company coming full steam ahead and, and without the kind of guardrails of finance, if you will, just crashing into the dock. But no, that's, that's a really good analogy. So what I'd love to do now is jump into our quick fire round. The way this works is I'll ask you some questions. You'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Sounds great. What's your go-to online resource for all things finance-related? So I like to go to TechCrunch. It's not finance-related. I do go straight to the handbook for IFRS or I go to uh, the codification for USGAP, but TechCrunch is where I like to start out my day. Nice. That's a good one. What's your favorite productivity hack? My wife hates it, but I have a whole bunch of scrap paper all over my desk that uh, I have old school to-do lists. No printer fees on those, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm reusing other sides of the pages, yeah. <laughs> What's one thing you don't leave your, your home office before finishing? I'm terrible at this. If I'm in the middle of a spreadsheet analysis, I will not stop until I'm done. If I, if I stop, I, I won't be able to figure out where I was before. That makes sense. Yeah. And what's one jargon that makes you cringe? It's something that obviously I heard a lot at Shopify and, and they're going to hate me for this, but I hate 10xing. I, I, I'm rational and I'm like, okay, my best year, maybe I was at 3x. I just cannot get to a 10x. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a, a jargon. And uh, I think we went through a phase where uh, it became a meme as well. So I, I, I definitely feel you on that one. Lastly, what's the best advice you've received so far in your career? Surround yourself with people that are stronger than you. So you need to hire people that are better than you in financial reporting, tax, internal controls, treasury, FP&A. And, and then you need to be able to lead those people and nudge them, kind of like that tugboat analysis, the best way forward. But make sure you get people that are better than you in all those areas. That's great advice for sure. Well, Blaine, thank you so much for spending some time with us on, on The Backbone, chatting about your career journey, chatting about your, your process in joining Canaxis talking through taking Shopify public and, and the learnings and things that surprised you there, as well as what it means that once a company has gone public, what a finance exec needs to do to ensure the, the company becomes a trusted public company. So really enjoyed this conversation and thanks again for making time to do it. Well, thanks for so much for having me. I love being on the backbone. It was great. Thanks, Blaine. Take care. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. Check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.